0: Hey, it's Flaves, and this is Climate Changers, a podcast where we celebrate the heroes who are on the front lines of creating a new and sustainable resource and energy economy. Today, my guest is Elizabeth Whitlow, Executive Director at the Regenerative Organic Alliance. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. You've had an amazing career trajectory focused on creating sustainable food systems. Could you talk about this journey and how you landed at ROA?
1: Yeah, I started on this journey right out of college in the Ozarks and learned about the power of agriculture and, you know, how you choose what to eat can make such a huge difference and uh, totally changed my whole trajectory, actually, and from the Ozarks, I started heading west and um, ended up out in Washington State where I went to graduate school and then started working with coffee farmers as part of my thesis project. And I've been doing multiple things relating to agriculture and working with smallholders in some ways or organic, fair trade, shade-grown coffee and eventually got this opportunity here to come work with the folks at the ROA, and it was really the opportunity of a lifetime. And I felt like everything I'd been doing kind of led me to this, and here I am. It's been a busy couple of years.
0: What is regeneration, and how is it different from organic?
1: There's a lot of debate around, you know, how you would, if you want to just talk about it in the context of agriculture and like regenerative practices. I won't dive into that kind of the the different debates going on around that. I think rather I would like to just talk about regenerative organic in the context in which we're applying it. And that is to look at farms as a very holistic system and looking at all the different aspects of the farm that begins with organic, where there is no use of prohibited chemicals or synthetic fertilizers and pesticides and whatnot, and a focus on soil health. But with our framework, we build on the organic and we look at how a farmer approaches soil health and land management in a very holistic way. But we also are looking at the way that animals are treated. So we're trying to ensure ethical and humane treatment of animals and not allow large scale livestock operations. And then really critically is that we include provisions for fairness, fair conditions for farmers, fair conditions for farm
0: workers. So what does the regenerative organic certification represent to consumers? Well, for consumers, I think
1: what we affectionately call the Rock label, the regenerative organic certified, is going to answer a whole suite of values that a consumer has with them when they go to make their choices, whether it is the food they plan to put on their table or the clothing that they're buying or the body care products that they may choose to put on their body and ingest through their skin. that. This label for rock will answer a whole suite of values. There's grass-fed, there is ethical and humane treatment of animals, there's assuring that farm workers are being treated fairly and there's no child labor involved in it, and that the farm is really proactively aiming at practices that will build soil health, keep the soil covered, and do more crop rotations, for example. And so those are some of the different
0: aspects that we focus on. And you have a number of impressive sponsors. Who are some of the companies that have participated in your pilot program? Well, our founders
1: are certainly among those. And then a lot of the pilot, a lot of the brands that participated in our pilot. So first off, the founders of the ROA include the Rodale Institute, Patagonia, and Dr. Bronner's. And the, those three all came together in 2017, there was increasing concerns about a watering down or weakening of the organic standard. There was a lot of concern happening in this industry around the allowance of hydroponics for organic production. And many people believed that organic has to be conducted in the soil, that we grow crops in this living crust of the earth and not in, say, a sterile medium using imported fertility inputs or you know, in in containers. So there's a lot of controversy around the allowance of hydroponics in organic. That was one of the major motivating factors. The other was that the National Organic Standard here in the U.S., There were some issues around very large-scale livestock operations that were not allowing poultry out, essentially. They would have porches, basically, that the the poultry could go out on, but really wasn't an inviting environment for poultry to go out and forage and peck. So basically, this idea that animals should be able to live a life that um, suits their natural behaviors. And if you're a chicken, you probably want to forage and peck. If you are a ruminant, a cow or sheep, That you want to graze, you need to graze. In fact, that you have a a digestive system that is based on that. So, what they came together and thought, like, okay, we don't want to let go of organic because Patagonia and Bronner's were some of the leading brands who committed 100% to organic sourcing, and so you know they didn't want to cast doubt on that claim. It's still the highest label that a purchaser consumer can get. So really they wanted to build on organic. It's why um, that's the baseline for our certification program. And then we build from there. And so they came together at the Rodeo Institute, like I said, in 2017 and started dreaming up their idea of a future, kind of a new vision for agriculture that would address a lot of the things that were not being addressed by the NOP and were never intended to, for example, the social component for the workers.
0: You mentioned livestock, and it's kind of counterintuitive for many of us to think that some livestock, specifically cows, uh, can be good for the soil and for climate. Could you talk about how livestock can help reclaim soils?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's amazing research and evidence of that. Um, if you look to the Savory Institute and all the work of Alan Savory, and I think what what so many producers have learned is that if you implement like intensive rotational grazing practices that you can rotate animals through these small smaller pastures and that helps them improve the feed utilization and graze that grass down to more uniform levels they're also at the same time depositing their manure as they're moving around that pasture and so there's a much more even spread of manure and then you move them off that pasture and that gives that paddock time to rest and recover and then the cattle go to the next one and I watched a huge transformation in organic dairy from the years when I was involved in organics out here in Northern California and, and across the country. In fact, I did I visited a lot of other operations that were certified organic with uh, CCOF, who I worked for for many years. And what happened with those producers was like, they learned that they were saving on feed costs, their pastures were improving significantly, the milk quality was better, the animal health was better. And so- those dairy farmers who had previously had maybe you know, hundreds of acres and the cattle could just go out and roam around, they now were putting strips of fencing in. And I remember one especially enthusiastic dairy producer I worked closely with, he ended up with like 36 paddocks where he had previously had three. Then the, the ranchers are spending time moving their cattle around. But the benefits I think are pretty tremendous. So that's just one example, you know, looking at the dairy sector. But I think many cattle producers are seeing those benefits. And one of our founding members also was White Oak Pastures, and Will Harris is the poster man for this um, down in Georgia, where he's doing a lot of really great work with moving multi-species through through different fields where it's cattle. You know, they get followed by other species, by smaller ruminants and then by some kind of poultry or pigs. And so really maximizing the use of that land and then bringing different types of fertility into the land naturally. So the farmers don't have to pay to purchase from off-farm, pay for equipment and labor to haul it and spread it around the pastures.
0: It's great to think that there's such great benefits for Farmers and ranchers who make the the transition, and it sounds like there's some real clear economic benefits. But outside of knowing they're doing the right thing, how can they benefit from the certification itself? First
1: off, we're quite new, and really, we just got out of our pilot program last year and started opening up for general applications in the winter of 2020. As we all know, it's been a really weird year, and. Um, really challenging to get out and in the world and and being in an industry that is based on sending people out to visit farms and um, that was a little challenging with covid so we're a little slow on expansion but soon we will be getting out more i hope as more folks get vaccinated and the world hopefully goes back to some form of normal and as we build out the rock supply chain then I expect to see more and more consumer goods out in the marketplace that a consumer can buy. And when they see that Rock logo, they're going to, well, I don't know if they'll know automatically, we're going to have to do some education on this, but the Rock seal will indicate that the buyer and the brands who are carrying forth that claim have paid a premium to the farmers and that the brands are making sure that the farm workers are being taken care of, that they're signing long-term contracts with the farmers, and they're paying a premium
0: for that product. That's incredible. And as you say, it has been a weird year, but it seems that the consciousness of of Regen has grown quite a bit. What are some examples of innovative regenerative food and fiber products you've seen in the last year?
1: There's a lot going on in that. And if I could just go through the list of nearly 100 applicants that we have in the queue right now, I would love to tell you about all of them. There's some really cool operations that are coming in the door here. And, you know, some of this awareness around our interconnectedness and vulnerability from in this time of COVID has really come to light with also with the Black Lives Matter movement and so much more emphasis being put on BIPOC farmers and marginalized communities. And so I've seen some operations that are really doing tremendous work in addressing food security in communities that previously didn't perhaps have access to really fresh and healthy type of produce or food. So that's one just kind of broad example. I I think another brand that participated in our pilot was Lotus Rice, and they have got some really innovative uh, methods and, and approach to cultivating rice and eliminating a lot of the excessive water use and some Really terrible problems that happen in a, a traditional rice operations where people are, you know, bending over, women especially are bent over all the time. And you see these women just completely bent over, unable to stand up straight from lifetime in these rice paddies. not to mention that their feet are always wet as they're weeding and moving through those fields, and that, that brings a whole host of other problems to those humans who are working in those systems. The things I've learned about ways that Different types of companies or crops are innovating and stepping up. These times have been really impressive and really fill my heart. I, I would highly recommend any of your listeners to go look up Lotus Foods and, and some of the information they have on their website about the work they're doing with
0: rice growers. And you mentioned Patagonia is one of your founders. Obviously, they're going to do a lot with, with fiber and they're even doing some, some work with food, but I've heard they, they might even be getting into the beer business. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, that's
1: a really exciting project unto itself. And they are in the beer business and there's a very delicious beer. It's called Long Root Ale. The basis of this beer is from Kernza, which is an amazing grain that a mad farmer and scientist in the middle of the country in Kansas has been working at for many years, 40 years, probably that Dr. West Jackson has been working to perennialize this grain from what, you know, ancient, Perennial grains in the Great Plains that made this country and this soil basis of this country so rich. Dr. Jackson has been at this for a long time. In fact, I had the great honor of getting to go and meet him back when I was in the Ozarks. What I mentioned to you when I first started here was um, they had this great Prairie Festival, and we would go out there, and there was all kinds of stuff going on around agriculture and showing people. And even at the time, it like this was a long time ago, it seemed a long ways off, but. Yvonne Chenard, with all his foresight and, and brilliance and looking at how to change our systems and and find new ways to produce goods, he's the one who gave charge to um, the director of Patagonia Provisions. Like, hey, find this man. Let's do something with this. And Birgit Cameron went out there and met Dr. Jackson and came up with the idea to produce beer with this grain. And um, so, yeah, now you can get long root ale. And I think they're coming out with a new one um, this year. So that's in the works right now. It's a really beautiful product and pretty delicious.
0: I love the work you're doing and, and you clearly have a sense of optimism. What makes you most optimistic about this journey towards a regenerative future?
1: I think all the innovation that we're seeing and all the excitement around this concept is Some of the most exciting stuff I've run into in my career, the concept of regeneration just really gives people a sense of hope and optimism. And the word in itself just embodies that, that we get to leave things better, that we get to build and we get to regenerate our resources rather than extract and take. And it seems like, you know, most of our models are all so extractive and aiming for like high yields on these highly extractive models. And it's just really important to to be thinking about how we can not just take, but to give and to have this cycle of renewal and um, a very holistic approach to a farm. And I think that's probably one of the best things I can think of.
0: Elizabeth, thank you for your work to develop sustainable food systems and now this awesome initiative to create a meaningful, regenerative, organic certification for ecologically-minded farmers. And thank you for joining this episode of Climate Changers. It's been super fun to talk to you and get to know you. and I I hope to uh, run into you more
1: now that we're connected here in this small world.
0: Every episode of Climate Changers has a call to action posted in the show notes. Each call to action has been curated to make it easy for you to help create the changes that we discussed today. Thank you for joining Climate Changers. Until next time.